0: tuned into The Benefit Broadcast, The Conceal or Reveal Edition, a six-part series spotlighting a collective of inspirational brow raisers. We'll be opening up the conversation to reveal perspectives on topics that many choose to conceal and embracing self-expression, acceptance and celebration, whatever that sounds like. I'm Dr. Anita Mitra I'm an NHS gynaecologist and author of the book The Gynae Geek Your No-Nonsense Guide to Down There Healthcare and I'm joined by my good friend Karen Hobbs. Hi,
1: I'm Karen Hobbs. I'm a stand-up comedian who has had cervical cancer. This episode is all about challenging the C words. Everyone with a cervix is eligible for a cervical screening test, but lots of people aren't attending their appointments for various reasons, which means many people are being diagnosed every day with cervical cancer.
0: We'll tell you how cervical screenings and regular check-ins with your full body health can become an empowering and vital part of your self-care routine. Let's get down to it.
1: First, we're gonna throw it back and talk about our early experiences of learning about cervical cancer. Anita, my darling, did you know what cervical cancer was before your first cervical screening test?
0: Honestly? Probably not. I remember getting the invitation for my first Spiegel screening and actually being really excited. (laughs) Um, It's not an
1: invitation to a party. Well, (laughs) it felt like it to me,
0: okay. So you normally get your first invitation just before your 25th birthday. Mm. And so I remember being really excited and thinking, yep, definitely have to book it in. I rang the GP surgery straight away, but I don't actually think I really understood Mm exactly what it was about. Bearing in mind that I was at medical school at this time, so I would say I probably had a bit more knowledge than the general population. And that's actually one of the reasons why I am always so keen to talk about cervical cancer and cervical screening, because even as somebody with a higher level of education than the general population, I didn't really understand exactly what it was. I will let you into a secret. I've done quite a bit of reading since then, so I do know what it is now.
1: I'm glad as a (laughs) a gynaecologist, you know what cervical screening is and cervical cancer. That makes me a tiny bit relieved. But did you think like you were getting a test for cervical cancer? Because I think a lot of people see that invite and think, I'm going to be tested for a disease, but that's not the case at all, is it?
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think that when you open the envelope, it must be quite overwhelming because there's lots of words there that are written that we don't really understand. We don't get taught about this. And I don't think people are
1: necessarily expecting to get the letter. Definitely. It just turns up and they think, why am I being invited for this? What's going on?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, so... I went to the test and then got the result and then I think after that then that's when I started understanding a little bit more about what it was about and I think it's really important to reinforce to everybody who's listening that actually it's not a test for cancer Mm. it's actually a test to try and prevent cancer.
1: Okay, let's go back to basics. So there are five gynaecological cancers, womb, ovarian, cervical, vulval, and vaginal. Very good. Thank you so much. But cervical is the only one that has a screening program. So if someone's watching or listening to this and they know nothing about cervical health, they've never even been for their first test yet, let's go right back. What can they expect? What's it testing for? What happens? Tell me everything.
0: Okay, so I think that's a really good question because often when we don't know about something, it makes it much more scary. Mm -hmm. So when you get your letter, you'll be asked to call or contact your GP surgery and make an appointment. And on that day, what you do is you go and I recommend you wear something nice and comfy. So you'll be asked a couple of questions to start with. First of all, when was your last period and what contraception are you using? So I would say write these down because on the spot, it's always really difficult to remember, isn't it? And also, I don't know why, but contraceptives always have names that you just can't pronounce. So maybe take a picture, and then you can just show it to whoever's taking your test. Then you'll be given time to undress. So you need to take your underwear off, and then you'll be given something to cover yourself with, okay, and then you'll need to lie down, and we'll show you how to position yourself. Normally what we do is ask you to bend your knees up with your feet as close to your bottom as you can. So you're lying on the bed? Yes, absolutely. And you have your feet together, and then you let your knees flop apart, okay? And this is a good position to take a smear test, because what it does is it actually slightly tilts your cervix forward and makes it a little bit easier for the person who is doing the test. And then what we do is we gently insert a speculum. So they're usually made of plastic, not those cold, nasty, horrible metal ones that you might see in Mm. movies. So plastic speculum, and that allows us to have a look inside the vagina because the cervix is right at the top. Okay, so cervix is at the top of the vagina. Absolutely, yeah. So what we're going to do is when we can see it through the speculum, we are going to use a very flexible plastic brush to sweep it around on the cervix. And that is the sample that we need to take. And it's not like a bristly brush, is it? It's not this scratchy thing. No, so obviously it does have bristles mm. because it is a brush, but it's not something that's, <laughs> that's really- That's definition of a brush, Anita. <laughs> it has bristles. So yeah, it needs to basically exfoliate some of the cells mm. off the cervix because that's what we need for the sample. So what we do is we then Take the speculum out and then while we're putting the sample into the special bottle that we sent to the lab in we'll give you time to get changed and we'll give you some tissue because there might be a bit of jelly left and then yeah take your time put your clothes on i know it's always really hard when you're kind of flustering mm. and kind of like oh my gosh they're, they're waiting for me i need to get ready but isn't it weird how obviously you know somebody is examining your cervix
1: and putting something inside your vagina they'll see your vulva <laughs> but i still tuck my knickers into my shoe when I get undressed. But why?
0: They're seeing everything. Everyone does it, so yeah. it's absolutely fine. I don't mind if I see your pants, yeah. but yeah, just put them wherever you feel comfortable and then they'll be there when you're finished. And the sample that's taken with the non-bristly
1: brush that still has bristles, because that is the definition of a brush we've learnt. <coughs> um, what actually happens to the sample? So you've put the sample in a pot what now? How does that go from that to me getting a results letter?
0: Mm-hmm. So the sample goes to the lab and the first thing that we do is test it for something called HPV. So that's the human papillomavirus. That is the virus that causes the cells to become abnormal and turn into a cancer. Okay. And if we find that HPV is present, now that doesn't mean that you have cancer. But what it then means is that we need to examine the cells. OK, so that's why we use the exfoliating bristly, non-bristly (laughs) brush. And we will look at these cells under the microscope to see if they look abnormal. Okay, and again, not looking to see if you have cancer, but seeing if they are abnormal in a way that means that in the future they could turn into a cancer. So this is way before
1: cancer even develops, isn't it? It's kind of right at the very beginning to catch the virus or if the virus is there, abnormal cells potentially before they develop into
0: anything. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the whole point of a screening test. So I think it's really important to be clear that a screening test is a test for somebody who's in the general population, who doesn't have any symptoms, who isn't unwell, to see if they may be high risk of getting a disease in the future. And the reason why cervical cancer is so ideal screening test is because it has this very long phase of being in a precancerous potentially treatable form before it actually turns into cancer so from getting an HPV infection to getting a cancer we think probably takes about ten years okay and so in that time most people will have had about three cervical screening tests so we will have had those opportunities to pick it up watch it see if it's going to go away see if it's going to get worse and then if it does get worse then we can treat it So we have
1: a screening programme and because of the slow, typically slow, development, we have the gift of time in that you can monitor and cancer's not going to suddenly develop overnight from nothing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's completely correct. All right, it's time to check in with all of you and see what you've been saying on social media. Should we see if we've got a message? (gasps) Oh, yep. The person has asked, I'm having my first smear test and I'm so nervous I want to cancel it. What can I expect? Will they scrape my skin? Will I bleed? Very good question.
1: Oh, it's so scary when you don't know what's going to happen, isn't it? It's fear of the unknown a lot of the time, I think.
0: Definitely. And I just want to say it's so normal to feel nervous. I don't think anybody really, like, struts into their smear test and things Well, yeah. it
1: sounded like you were really bloody excited for yours. But yes, everyone apart from Anita. Yeah,
0: I think I'm the exception, not the rule. I think we've kind of covered a little bit of what to expect. So... Will we scrape your skin? No, so it used to be called a smear test because of the fact that we actually used to use like a wooden spatula. It reminds oh me God. a little bit of like a lollipop stick. Okay. First it
1: was the bristly brush. Now you're telling me about a wooden spatula. So no- and I get a
0: whisk up there. <laughs> no wooden spatulas, okay. But that's why it used to be called a smear mm. test. So we did use to scrape, but now we don't. We use the non-bristly, bristly brush and exfoliate gently. Mm. So, no, we're not going to scrape your skin, but some people might actually bleed afterwards. Mm. And this is something that's personally happened to me. And lots of people come out and think, oh, my gosh, I'm bleeding. So it's a sign that something really awful is wrong. Something That the test bad.
1: has disturbed something up there yes. that's sinister. Yeah, Absolutely. That's not.
0: No, it's something that's really common. And it's just because the cervix gets a little bit irritated when it gets exfoliated mm. with the non-bristly bristly brush.
1: So it's a bit of disturbance that can cause irritation, a bit of bleeding, but if you bleed after your cervical screening appointment, do not panic. Absolutely. And I think it's really important as well to remember that this is your appointment. It's your body and you are in control. Take your time and ask questions. It's, It's all up to you.
0: Go as slow as you need. And also, just want to say that there's actually no obligation to actually have the test done. Mm. If you go there and you think, actually, no, I've asked a few more questions. I really don't feel comfortable today. Then that's absolutely fine. Mm. And you can have it booked on another day instead. So the next question says, what support is there if I get a scary result from my smear? So
1: we'll cover scary result in a second. But support wise, you have come to the right place. So whilst I said I was a stand up comedian which I am, it's all true. My day job is working for the Eve Appeal, a gynae cancer charity. And with an amazing nurse, I run the Ask Eve helpline. So it's an information service. We offer support, advice, information on all sorts of gynae queries, including, as you can imagine, a lot of questions about cervical screening and cervical screening results. So um, we'll put the information for the helpline for the service um, at the end of the show. But the Eve Appeal, Ask Eve, I am there all day every day to help people who are worried about the results. So speaking of worrying results, what is a worrying result? What is an abnormal result? What does that mean?
0: So if you have HPV on the sample, but the cells are normal, nothing needs to be done for another year. Okay, so we're going to give one year to see if that HPV is going to go away on its own, because at the moment it hasn't caused the cells to become abnormal. If you have HPV and there are some abnormal cells, then we'll ask you to come to the hospital and meet one of the doctors or one of the nurses who specializes in something called colposcopy. So colposcopy is an appointment where we look directly at the cervix to see if we can see any abnormal areas. So it's an examination. It doesn't mean that we're going to chop anything out. Mm -hmm. I just want to stress that so much, okay? We may take little biopsies and sometimes we may see something that looks very abnormal and we want to remove it, but we will explain everything to you during that appointment.
1: And being invited for a colposcopy does not automatically mean you have cervical cancer? Correct. Okay, my turn to ask a question. Should I be worried about the type of HPV I've been diagnosed with?
0: Okay, so this is a very good question. So there are a couple of ways that we can classify the type of HPV. So we talk about high and low risk types of HPV. So just to give you a little bit of perspective, there's about 200 different types of HPV and we are interested in a specific group called high risk HPV. And there's about 12 different kinds and we call them high risk because we mean they are high risk of causing abnormalities on the cervix. We can get low risk types as well and these can cause warts but this is not what we're looking for on the smear test. We're just looking for high-risk types. So cervical
1: screening hasn't got anything to do with low-risk, genital wart type HPV stuff?
0: No, it doesn't. And so when we look at the high-risk types, we give them numbers. But it doesn't matter so much about the number. It just matters about whether it's high or low-risk. And so it's the high-risk types that we are looking for, and that will trigger a referral to the colposcopy clinic.
1: And someone who's asking about the type of HPV they've been diagnosed with after their cervical screening will definitely have high risk HPV. Yeah. So it's high risk HPV, but it doesn't really matter what number.
0: No, it doesn't because it doesn't really change what we do at Mm -hmm. all. It just means that we'll still need to see you in the clinic.
1: Okay, so how can I feel safe during my colposcopy because I'm recovering from trauma?
0: So this is a really important point that you brought up. And it's really important that we acknowledge there are reasons why people might feel more scared, nervous, apprehensive, or just, you know, really feel you absolutely can't do it. Mm -hmm. And certainly I've had lots of patients who, for example, have experienced birth trauma or have been sexually assaulted. There's lots of different things. So first of all, Just tell us what you feel comfortable with. You don't have to tell us the whole story, but if you want to, that's absolutely fine because it does help us to get an idea of what you might be going through and why you might be finding it hard. You can take someone with you okay, you can take a friend, you can take a family member, you can also have another member of staff in the room, so we'll always offer you a chaperone, so that would be another nurse or doctor who would come into the room during the examination to be with you. So it's less of a one-on-one situation if you need it to be, yeah. Yeah, Mm. absolutely, so whatever you want to feel comfortable. I've also had people who've played music, for example, do you know, just something to make the atmosphere a bit less... A bit less medical in a way, I guess. Completely, Yeah. yeah, definitely. But I do know that lots of people do need some extra support. And like we said earlier, you're in control. The
1: patient having the test, the procedure is in control. And you're not going to be angry at them as a gynaecologist if they get to colposcopy and perhaps they're a survivor of sexual
0: assault, cannot go through with the appointment then and there. Absolutely. I am never, ever going to force anybody to do anything that they don't want to do. And you can say stop at any point.
1: OK. I have two more quick questions for you. If I may, if I may, Go if for I may it. ask. Okay, so
0: what happens if
1: I get my period before my smear?
0: So ideally, we don't want you to have your smear test when you're on your period. Why not? So it can slightly interfere with the results. Mm. So ideally we prefer it when you're not bleeding. So it might be necessary to reschedule it.
1: Can you still see the cervix?
0: You can still see the cervix, that's no problem. Mm. But it's just that if there's lots of blood in the sample, sometimes it can interfere with the results. And last question, does a cervical
1: screening test check for anything else?
0: No, unfortunately not. So lots of people think that it checks your fertility, your risk of any other gynaecological cancers, checks for STIs. Unfortunately, it doesn't do any of those things, it just looks for abnormalities on the cervix. You can still have, for example, STI tests done on the same day, but you would need to specifically ask for them. So a cervical screening test just checks
1: for high-risk HPV, and abnormal cells. That's it. That is it. Now, let's head into our next segment, conceal and reveal. Here, we want to talk about things that we might have found difficult or hard to express in the past, and also shed some light on some different topics today. So Anita, obviously it's your job as a gynaecologist to talk about gynae health all day, it's my job to talk about it at the Eva pill all day and on stage at night, but the average member of the public with gynae anatomy won't be talking about cervical or gynae health as much as us. Why do we think people aren't really talking that much about cervical and gynae health?
0: Well, I think it's just quite an awkward topic because we don't grow up saying the word vagina, vulva, cervix, all of these things. Mm. And I remember a few years ago when I first started, you know, really talking about gynaecological health. I go to have dinner with friends and then I would happen to say the word vagina and they're all like, Mm. she's done it again. But now I feel like it's a bit more acceptable. and I feel like we are getting there. But Mm. yes, I think that there is just a lot of taboo with talking about it because of the words and also because... We all think that it's related to something sexual Mm. or that we've done something wrong or... There's a kind of
1: like dirty attachment to it and
0: that's a real shame, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, because these are just anatomical words. It's all part of our body. It's part of our health. You wouldn't have a problem with saying, you know what, I've hurt my finger today. Mm -hmm. But you might have a problem with saying, I went for my cervical screening. And so we want people to feel more comfortable to talk about that. And that's one of the reasons why we're having this conversation. I think it's also really important to say that you don't have to have swallowed an anatomy textbook before you go and speak mm. to a healthcare professional. I'm happy for people to use whatever kind of vocabulary they want, whatever words they feel comfortable describing something. But it is important to be able to describe where something is a problem or what's going on. But also, if you don't have those words, it's OK. You can just say, could I please show you? Mm-hmm. That's another way you can yeah. get around it. Yeah.
1: That's such a good idea. Can I show you a bit if you can learn the language, the right terms, that's really helpful. I think, so before anything went wrong with me down there, I would say down there. I used to remember saying to my mum and dad, my front bottom, I just didn't have the right language. And I would, you know, pre-cancer in the years BC, before cancer, um, you know, I would squirm at the words vagina. Like I didn't know the term vulva. I would refer to my vulva pre-cancer as my vagina. And I think loads of people do that. You just say, oh, my vagina. It's not your vagina. Here is a top tip. The vulva is on the outside. So it's the external genitals. The vagina is on the inside. It's got the word in, in it, vag, inner. And if you're not laughing, you're learning.
0: Excellent. Thanks for that, Karen.
1: Because I think there's this stigma that if something goes wrong between your legs and in your pelvis, cervical, gynae, whatever, that you've done something wrong and so many people I speak to that have had gynae issues feel like they've been a bad girl or they're not a proper woman if they have to have any of these organs removed. Do you find that like kind of there's this real quite dark attachment to anything going wrong gynae wise?
0: Definitely yeah and that goes beyond just abnormal smear tests Mm, as well mm. and I think it's partly because of the fact that We know that it's caused by a virus, so it's like, oh, well, how did it get there? And I have lots of patients who come and say, well, I've got this virus, where did it come from? Well, it's actually really difficult to know where it came from. This virus is all over the place. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to have come from someone else. It can be something that you have on your own skin and sex is what gets it to the Mm -hmm. cervix. I think it's also really important to point out that you can still get HPV even if you are in a long-term relationship. You've been with someone for say 20 years, you can still get a new HPV infection. You can get it if you have sex with somebody who is of the same gender or even from having sex with yourself. Because actually the virus is everywhere and sex just is what gets it to the cervix. Mm. So I think there's that side of it and also because it's just sort of unspoken about people come to me and say well I don't know anybody who's had an abnormal smear test result. Well actually I always tell them go and speak to your friends I'm sure there's someone who has and they all say no 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 definitely not. So like how common is an abnormal screening result, how many people will will have one? So if 20 people go for their smear test, one person will get an abnormal result. So that's about 5%. Mm. So if you think about your circle of friends, I'm pretty sure that there's somebody else who has. And when you speak to somebody else who's had an abnormal result, often that can make you feel better about the situation because you Mm. don't feel as alone.
1: Yeah, I think especially when we're talking and adding sex into the equation, there's a lot of self-blame because yes, HPV is passed on through sexual contact, but the amount of sex you've had doesn't correlate with how likely you are to get cervical cancer.
0: And I think that's also the reason why in certain communities and cultures, we have such a problem with getting people to go for their smear test Mm. because they think maybe it doesn't apply to them or it's very shameful to be seen to be going for a smear test. You know, lots of different sort of misconceptions about the test and, and what an abnormal result actually means. We've concealed,
1: now we're going to reveal. I want to talk about some stuff and shed light on things that it's difficult to talk about. There will be people listening and watching that want to ask these questions but don't have anyone to talk to. So I want to be like the gorgeous sisters that everyone wishes they had. So we spoke earlier about what happens you get HPV result, you wait a year, go for colposcopy, etc. But getting that bit of paper that says something is the matter, whatever that is, mm-hmm. How do you process that? Because that's so much to go through, to go from one day just having a test to having something be the matter with your cervix and waiting to find out. How do you deal with that?
0: Well, I think this is why we need to get more people talking about this kind mm. of thing, because I think if you can then talk to your family or friends about it, then as they say, a problem shared is a problem halved. The Eve Appeal is a really great place to go for help and information and support, and also, of course, the NHS website. Now if you have to come to colposcopy, there's always a number on the letter that you'll be sent. So if you want to call up and ask any questions, then that's a really good place to also go.
1: And how soon after that test at the GP surgery do I get my results? And if I need to come and see you in colposcopy, how soon after those results will I come and see you? What's the timeline?
0: So it varies a little bit around the country, but generally speaking, you'll get your results in a couple of weeks. I remember my most recent smear test, the results came back so quickly. I was like, oh, my gosh, there must be something yes, wrong. The
1: letter drops and you think, what's going on?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. But it was normal. So that's good. So do you do your own
1: smear test? <laughs> no, I do not
0: do my own smear test, Self-service
1: check <laughs>
0: <laughs> No,
1: I no. don't. But it, would, no.
0: <laughs> it would be more convenient, but no, yes, I don't. Um, so I did go and have another healthcare professional do my yeah. test for me. And yeah, the result came back really quickly, but it might be a couple of weeks. So the timing doesn't really necessarily depend on what the result is going to be. So don't panic if you get your result three days later. Exactly, but we'll generally need to see you in a couple of weeks in the colposcopy clinic. Now a small proportion of people might need to be seen a little bit more urgently. And if that's the case, then we'll get you in and we'll see you and we will explain everything. But we'll see you in the clinic. And this is where we're going to do our examination to have a direct look at the cervix and see if we can actually definitely see anything that is abnormal. Because remember, the screening is just a test to see if you're higher risk than the general population of having a disease. And the colposcopy is where we do the diagnostic test to tell you exactly what is going on.
1: So when someone comes to see you at colposcopy, do you find that most people are sort of already convinced that they've got cancer, that's why they're at that appointment. Do you have to spend a bit of time at the top of the appointment reassuring people that this is kind of another step in the investigation rather than to tell them what cancer treatment they're going to need? Yeah,
0: absolutely. And it's really, really normal that people come and they're really anxious, lots of people cry and that's absolutely fine. Because to go from GP surgery where the screening is to
1: a hospital for colposcopy, that's a big jump and it's really it could be quite emotional, can't it, to go into that hospital
0: setting? Yeah, absolutely, and I completely understand that for a lot of people, this might actually be the first time they've ever been to the hospital Mm. or ever been to see a gynaecologist. So we really understand that it's quite an overwhelming experience. And so I always start by making sure people understand why they've come to see me and what I'm going to do.
1: And if they have come to see you because their screening result has showed that there's something abnormal, of course, again, they've done nothing wrong, Mm. they're not a bad person, they've not had too much sex or anything like that, just because they've got an abnormal result. They're one in 20 and they're not alone and then they can ask you questions. Yes,
0: absolutely. So always ask questions.
1: So I've asked you about going from cervical screening and needing a colposcopy after your cervical screening result, but will people come to a colposcopy clinic for other reasons? Will there be a different pathway other than, oh, I had an abnormal screening result and now I'm in colposcopy?
0: Yes, yeah, so we do actually see some people because they are, for example, being followed up mm-hmm. from having an abnormal result, but also some people come because they have symptoms. Mm-hmm. So really important to say that if you have symptoms, so things that might be suggestive of cervical cancer include things like bleeding after sex, bleeding in between your periods, or having a lot of pain, unusual discharge, discharge that's blood stained, for example. Mm-hmm. See, we're getting all the uncomfortable words out all here the words talking out about there. discharge. Yeah. yeah. The, are the kind of
1: discharge.
0: <laughs> exactly. Now, these are the kind of things that might precipitate a referral to the colposcopy clinic. And a lot of people say, but I haven't had a smear test. No. If you have symptoms, you don't need a smear test, you need to actually come and see a gynaecologist.
1: Because cervical
0: screening and smear test is for the general healthy
1: cervix to check if there's anything that could develop. But symptoms is a separate ballpark, isn't it?
0: Exactly. And so if you have any of those symptoms, don't wait for mm. your smear test.
1: Don't think, oh, I've got my smear test in six months. I'm bleeding after sex. Oh, I've got smear test in a few months. I'll just wait till then.
0: No. Exactly. And. On the other side of things, if you've just had a smear test and then you start to have those symptoms, don't think, oh, well, the smear test was normal, I need to just leave it because there's lots of other reasons for why it can happen. And in most cases, it's not actually because of cervical cancer, but there's lots of other things that can be going on and lots of things that we can actually help you with and help you to get rid of those symptoms. So the main symptoms
1: of cervical cancer, like the bleeding between periods, bleeding after sex, How likely is it that it is going to be cervical cancer? Because I can imagine there are many reasons why we would have these problems, but is it likely if someone's bleeding after sex that they're going to have cervical
0: cancer? So actually, no, it's quite a low chance, Mm. but we really want to see you because we need to rule it out, but there might be other things that we can do to help you. And actually you don't need to be bleeding after sex.
1: But there are over 3000 cases of cervical cancer diagnosed every year in the UK, so sometimes that answer isn't what we want to hear. How does that come about from colposcopy to diagnosis and treatment? Can you tell
0: us about that pathway? Yeah, absolutely. So when we see you at colposcopy, what we're going to do is put some dyes onto the cervix. So the first one smells like vinegar and it's actually a very mild acetic acid. And what it does is it highlights the abnormal areas that we need to focus on more.
1: Does it hurt and sting? Vinegar on my cervix sounds, no thank
0: you. No, so it shouldn't hurt or sting, but definitely tell us if it Mm. does, because we can help. And then we may also use a second dye, which is iodine. So it's a very dark brown color. And that's why I recommend take a pad afterwards to wear. So we don't want to ruin your underwear for you. So we put those on and then we have a really good look. And so we're not putting anything apart from the speculum inside the vagina. All we're doing is looking from outside with a retro type of equipment called a colposcope. It is quite old school. It's like a pair of binoculars on a stand.
1: But nothing else goes into the vagina, so feeling-wise it's the same as a screening, it's just the speculum into the vag? It's
0: only the speculum, but then what we do is use some cotton wool balls to put the dyes on and then if we want to take a biopsy, again this doesn't mean that there's something really nasty, there's just an area that we want to look at and send it to the lab to get a proper diagnosis, so if we take a biopsy we're going to tell you beforehand and what we do is we use a very small little almost like a pair of tweezers, we take a little pinch of tissue, mm-hmm. okay, and lots of people say, oh, you've already done it? Some people find it uncomfortable, but it's only going to last for a couple of seconds. And then we can send that to the lab and then get the diagnosis and find out exactly how abnormal the cells on the cervix are. Now lots of people who come to colposcopy with an abnormal result are actually not going to have anything further than that tiny little pinch biopsy done. So. Lots of people, we will bring them back, observe them, and then the cells will go back to normal on their own when the body clears the HPV. So the
1: cells, if they're mild, a little bit abnormal, they can actually, without any interference from
0: you, go back to normal on their own? Absolutely, because 90% of HPV infections are going to clear within two years. Okay. So that's why we observe it, because we want to see if it's going to go back to normal on its own. Now, if the biopsy that we take or something that we see shows maybe more severe changes, Mm -hmm. then that's when we would talk to you about doing a treatment. So this is a procedure to remove the abnormal area from the cervix and it can be done in clinic under local anesthetic, so using some very small little injections and sometimes we might do it in theatre when you're asleep. And so when we do this we remove the area, we send it to the lab and again it is a way of finding out exactly what's going on, but actually this is how we prevent cancer, because if we remove these severely abnormal cells, then they're not there anymore and they can't turn into a cancer in the future.
1: Because removing the abnormal cells still doesn't mean you have cancer, does it?
0: Absolutely, that's completely correct. So if you have abnormal cells removed, it's definitely not cancer in most cases, it's actually something called pre-cancer, Now, if we see cancer there, that's when we have to have a slightly different conversation. So that's when you would come and see somebody who specializes in cervical cancer, so a gynaecological oncologist. And this is when we would talk about whether you need any further treatment. And so this can be in the form of the same kind of biopsy that you may have already previously had. For some people, we're able to remove the cervix to take away the cancer. For some people, we may talk about hysterectomy, so removing the entire cervix along with the uterus, a little bit of the top of the vagina and the tissues on either side. So it very, very much depends on what kind of cancer you have and how much it has spread. And for some people, they may need chemotherapy or radiotherapy. But this is obviously a lot further Mm, down the line and something that we wouldn't be telling you in the colposcopy clinic now we're going to dive a little deeper with some dmc for those of you who aren't familiar with the term that's short for deep meaningful chat so karen can you tell us what it was like getting a cancer diagnosis at such a young age so this is going to sound odd
1: because it's weird I think to talk about anything vaguely positive when it's under the cancer umbrella because cancer to us is something scary and sad and horrible it's horrible yeah we don't want to we don't want to talk about it we shy away from it but it was weirdly one of the best things to happen to me because first of all it was caught early there's no point beating around the bush, (laughs) pun intended. I was diagnosed early. Why was I diagnosed early? Because when I had symptoms, I went to the doctor quickly, I was referred, had a colposcopy so I was bleeding between periods not much I was on the pill I was back to back in my pill packet because I was on holiday and you know I wanted to wear my bikini and, and that's yeah, absolutely fine to do that's healthy That's fine that isn't it yes yeah, fine so absolutely. yeah so you're not angry at me for back to back in my not pill at all. all good so I was having a bit of like brown discharge whilst taking all these packets and I just thought my body wants a little bleed I'm not letting it so that's why there's a bit of brown discharge that's what I thought then I got back from holiday and had sex with my then boyfriend and it was penis and vagina off we go and when we finished having sex and his penis removed itself from my vagina there was bright red blood everywhere not the dark rusty discharge it was like there was a cut so I thought he was cut or I was cut I thought you know what's happened and that happened a few more times so that along with the dark discharge made me think okay I need to go and see my doctor Went to my doctor, she did a speculum examination, standard, and could straight away see that my cervix looked angry and that I needed to be referred for a colposcopy. So went for the colposcopy a few weeks later and was kind of reassured at every point that it's unlikely to be cervical cancer because, you know, I was young and all that sort of thing. Got to colposcopy. The camera was on the outside, just the speculum was on the inside, as you've said, but there's a big screen, isn't there? Mm. So the doctor can see the cervix, which looks like a donut, doesn't it? Kind of head on, it looks like a, yeah, a donut. I always
0: explain it as being like a donut. It looks like and a it's donut. great that there is a screen, but yes. if you don't want to look, you don't have to. No, well. you don't
1: have to look, you don't have to look, but it's there for the medical professional. I am nosy and curious, so did want to see. And it was, it kind of sounds like those film moments where everything changes in that one second. So the doctor examining me, doing the coposcopy, and the screen was there, so I couldn't quite see unless I unless I turned. And after doing the coposcopy for maybe a minute or two, she said, I'm just going to get someone more senior. And I thought, oh, fuck, I've got cancer. And you, just, it's this weird thing, but until you know, mm-hmm. you can't really explain it any other way. But I just knew in that moment mm-hmm. that, because why else would she need someone more senior? I know people do get different opinions and second opinions just so that they feel confident in giving their answer to to the patient, but something just changed then and I thought, this isn't good news. So then a man came in in a three-piece suit. I thought, okay, this is not ideal. And he said, you can have a look if you want. He was taking a biopsy like you explained, and I looked on the screen and Anita, you could just see it. There was just a little donut, little donut thing. You could just see this bright lump on the donut. It was just there. So obviously I saw that panicked, was getting dressed, was doing the whole like hobbling around with my tights. And I just sat down at this point, really shaky, really kind of disorientated. And I just sat down and said to him, is it cancer? And he said, well, we need to wait for the results of the biopsy. It would take a couple of weeks. But you know when you need to leave with just that bit more information? I couldn't wait two weeks not knowing anything. So I did push a little bit and I said, can you please just tell me what do you think? And then he said, well, I've been doing this for 30 years and I would be surprised if this wasn't cancer. So at that point, I didn't have waterproof mascara on. A nurse came in. It was a mess. It was because I'd gone from, you know, it's probably something to do with my pill or something not serious at all to yeah, you probably have got cancer, come back in a couple of weeks. And then the couple of weeks waiting for that confirmation Mm. was without a doubt the worst bit ever, because you don't know, first of all, if you even have cancer, you probably have cancer, but you also might not. What does that even mean? How does that feel? It's the most surreal experience because you, Kind of, then you start Googling survival statistics and the horror stories come up and you think you plan your own funeral before you've even got a confirmed diagnosis. It's such a mess mentally to deal with that weight. But then when I went back and it was confirmed it was cancer, then obviously you have scans, et etc., et to determine how much cancer there is. So then you have to go through the phase of like, okay, I have got cancer, but how much cancer do I have? Mm. And... It's such a weird feeling. I was in my 20s to think, am I going to die? Because you, you just don't know. And then you think, am I being dramatic by thinking I'm going to die? Or am I not taking this seriously enough by thinking, oh, I'll be fine? You go from one end of the spectrum to the other. It was, I hate the phrase roller coaster, but it really was a roller coaster. But, but it was confirmed it was early. So it was. A late stage one, so we know, and people I'm sure have heard of stages one, two, three, and four in cancer, so it was almost a two, but not quite, so it's in my cervix, it hadn't spread out. and again, it feels weird to say, I felt lucky, but I think you always compare yourself to other people in a similar situation, and obviously now kind of being. The cervical cancer poster girl, um, self-appointed and working for the EVA Appeal. I speak to people every day who are mm-hmm. in much worse situations and who are more poorly. And you must see people every day that are their disease is so much more advanced than a, a late stage one. So I, I do feel lucky, even though it was incredibly unlucky to get cervical cancer in your 20s, I feel lucky that because I had the confidence. I felt comfortable and confident and, and safe in my body and my home and my sex life to go to the doctor and say something isn't normal. And I knew that it was outside of my normal bleeding. I knew the difference from what was normal for me to what wasn't, which led me to get the early diagnosis. So I'm kind of giving myself a pat on the back, but also completely appreciate that I was in a privileged position. And there are so many reasons, like we've been talking about earlier, that people wouldn't be able to have that type of access or confidence or as fast a diagnosis as I did. So I do kind of want to acknowledge the the privilege and the the luck in being able to get that. To answer your question, what was it like? Um, Horrible. It was horrible. The worst bit wasn't the surgery. So I had my cervix and my bit of my vagina, as you mentioned earlier, removed. And, you know, obviously it's painful to recover from that type of surgery and, and all of that physical Getting over the disease type stuff. But for me, the mental health side of it was so much worse than any operation, any checkup, any tugging, pulling, examining. The worst bit of all of it was when I had the appointment after the biopsy, the come back in two weeks appointment, where the doctor said it is cancer. In that two weeks, I thought, because he said it probably is, I kind of convinced myself and got myself into the headspace that, okay, you're gonna have treatment for cancer in in some way. So I'd started to prepare myself for that. But the worst bit, and I always get upset when I talk about this bit, was because my mum came with me to that appointment. Um, And it was just so horrible because she just, I I didn't know anything about HPV. We've spoken about HPV a bit you know, I didn't know anything about it. And he was telling me, you know, the cancer is caused by HPV18, one of the the main types. And, you know, that's passed on through sexual contact and, you know, all of that sort of thing. And uh, and my mum just sat there and she was trying to be a bit more positive. And before the appointment had thought, oh, it'll be fine. You know, she was kind of going for that angle, which I completely understand that a parent would try and think that their kid, you know, hopefully doesn't have cancer. And and yeah, when the doctor said, well, it was, and she just sat there and she just said, is there anything I could have done? And it just broke my heart that she thought that she'd done something wrong as a parent, and that something that that she hadn't got right had meant that this was happening. You know, and then obviously, you know, I was trying to make a joke like, oh, I should have used more condoms. So I tried to make light of the situation, but the mental health and seeing people you love receive that news was for me of course every everybody's different and if i'd had more treatment the physical pain and recovery would have been worse for me of course but in my case the worst bit was watching people i love learn that someone they loved had this thing to go through
0: well karen thank you so much for sharing your story i know that it really can't be easy to talk about but i do know that lots of people will have been helped by hearing your story. And I know that I've sent lots of my patients to your Instagram account, to Eva Peel, to talk to you. And we've done lots of events before where you've spoken about it and people have, have really found it helpful. So thank you. Thank you, my darling. Oh,
1: yeah. And I also, do you agree that there's no right or wrong way to to do this as a cancer patient, but there's no prescription, there's no right or wrong way to do this sort of thing. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I think everybody's experience is different. Everybody deals with it differently, but I do think that you can learn a lot from hearing about other people's experiences and also hopefully, people will be listening to this and think oh actually maybe I will go and get my smear test maybe I don't feel so ashamed to talk to people about the fact that I had a test and it was abnormal so I think that's really what we're doing this for and why we we like to have these conversations.
1: If one person listens to this and thinks I'm going to
0: book my appointment then we have smashed it. Absolutely.
1: All right, we're going to wrap things up with some bits of advice and top
0: tips for your cervical screening appointment. So I think, you know, learning from my experience, wear something comfortable that's easy to take on and off. And remember that you can keep your socks on. You also don't have to shave or wax your legs or any other part of your body. It's absolutely not a problem. Absolutely no judgment there. Go in with a full bush. The doctor doesn't care, right? And to be honest with you, I normally have hairier legs than most of my patients.
1: I would say there are a range of different size speculums. So if you think that the size speculum that the nurse or doctor shows you that they're going to use is going to be too big for you because you know your own body and you know your own experience, say, can I please have the smaller speculum?
0: Yeah, it's really helpful if you've ever had a problem before and you knew how the person got around it. I'm always happy to take advice from you, that's no problem at all. And yeah, different sizes, we can use more lubricant if you need. You can also put the speculum in yourself if you think that that's going to be helpful as well, that's not a problem. You can have a friend
1: or family member or a chaperone with you and you can ask to stop at any time. There
0: is no pressure to complete the appointment within that allocated time. If you want to put some music on in the background, that's absolutely no problem at all. Ask any questions before, during, afterwards. I want you to feel as informed as possible.
1: HPV is really common. So if your result comes back that says you've got high-risk HPV, it doesn't mean your partner's cheated on you. It doesn't mean that you've been promiscuous. It doesn't mean you've not looked after yourself. It's really, really common. And also, like Anita said earlier, one in 20 results will be abnormal when it comes to cervical screening. So always remember you're not alone. There are people like the Eve Appeal, your doctor and nurse, me, we're there to help. We're there to talk to you and support you through this.
0: There is also an HPV vaccine that protects you against HPV, but even if you've been vaccinated, you do still need to go for your cervical screening, because it doesn't completely protect you 100% against cervical cancer.
1: Well, my wonderful friend and doctor, Anita Mitra, I think we have covered
0: so much in this conversation. Karen Hobbs we really have it's been great to talk to you and thank you for sharing your story and all your wonderful knowledge
1: and thank you so much for listening to the benefit broadcast the conceal or reveal edition be sure to like and subscribe and tell everyone you know about it you can find the video series of this podcast on instagram by following at benefit cosmetics uk do tune in next week for another great episode with a new set of hosts bye bye This episode of the Benefit Broadcast, the Conceal or Reveal edition, was hosted by Dr. Anita Mitra and Karen Hobbs. For more information on cervical cancer and the topics covered in this episode, please see the show notes for links to resources, including our charity partner, Look Good, Feel Better. It was produced and edited by Content is Queen. Original creative production and casting by The Digital Fairy. Original music by Alice Boyd.